Welcome to Future of School, the podcast, where we amplify all the key stakeholder voices in education. Students, teachers, parents, policy influencers, entrepreneurs, and more. And engage in meaningful discussions about what it means to create an education system in which all students can reach their unbounded potential. You'll hear diverse perspectives discussing the power and promise of technology, true successes in personalized learning, and what it means to prepare the qualified workforce of tomorrow. Enjoy today's episode. Forecasting what school will look like in America in the year 2025 is an exciting yet very challenging concept to think through. We're at a place right now where we're building the train while well, we're building the tracks of the future of school. That being said, there are a couple of critical components that we know to be true. The first one, learning can happen anywhere, anytime. The concept of school has evolved from being a, a building where learning happens to being a verb. Schooling happens anywhere, anytime. The second truth is that in order to get there, we must embrace technology. Technology is the most powerful catalyst to bring to scale the changes that we're facing in terms of redesign, ensuring access and equity. And we've seen some schools, leaders, teachers, and students who are the early adopters, who have taken online and blended classes, who, are, who have been designing those programs. We've seen that throughout the last 25 years. And if we wanna really look and distill it down in terms of what elements those schools have embodied as we look forward, we can put those into four different categories. The first one is a social understanding and a collective understanding of the importance of education. That learning, teaching, learning, engaging in that process gives students future forward, future thinking, career planning goals, and then that's critical for us as a society. The second is an all hands on deck that you have buy-in. You have buy-in as you're going through this uh, transformation process. The third is iterating and reiterating, feeling comfortable, failing fast, but failing forward. And finally, engaging all stakeholders. In five years, when we look at a school, it will elevate the voice of teachers and student choice and the role of parents. And that's what we can expect in five years as we work to specifically redesign classrooms in America. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. Stick around for our featured interview and more great segments coming up. I'd like to welcome Nasir Kadri, founder and managing partner of Zeal Capital Partners, which is a new Washington, D.C.-based inclusive investment vehicle that's focused right now on bridging America's wealth and skills gap. Nasir has a long-standing dedication to education, business, and using economics as a vehicle to be able to increase access and equity for students. He also served as the Associate Director of Social Investments at AT AT&T, where they were focused on early stage education and employment technology business. And prior to that, Nasir led Village Capital's Economic Opportunity Portfolio, which is when I had the wonderful opportunity to meet him, get to know him, and collaborate with him. Welcome, Nasir. Amy, it's a pleasure. It's, it's great to reconnect with you. And uh, uh, this is such an important time to have this conversation. So thank you so much for thinking of me and, and congratulations. Thank you. 
you came to mind as the perfect person to talk about access and equity in our K-12 education system um, because of your longstanding commitment to building support systems and economic mobility for the poor and oppressed. And that actually byline came from an interview that you did not too long ago. It's evident throughout the entirety of your career and your passion. Your passion is one of your superpowers for sure. So um, talk to us about your commitment to increasing access and equity for all students. You can talk about it through your current role or through previous work that you've done. Yeah. So first of all, like a lot of us, this, this work is deeply rooted personally. I come from uh, a very uh, uh, low-income community in Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, I was fortunate enough uh, to go through about five nonprofits that really shaped the trajectory for me to help me realize my full potential and see opportunities from, from a career perspective and, and then, then understand the importance of mentorship. Um, but recognizing the, as I, the older I've gotten and the more I've leaned in into the education uh, reform and innovation space, it is clear that how we think about equity, how we think about resources is not being, it's not evenly distributed across uh, communities, um, uh, across communities in general. And so it yields uh, the unfortunate of kids not uh, getting the type of resources and, and realizing their full potential as it relates to careers after, well, thinking about how, some form of post-secondary education and into the career, into uh, the workforce. And so for me, it's, uh, it's deeply rooted personally, but also understanding that uh, there are diverse stakeholders that play a major role, not just very few, not just teachers and and um, and and parents, it's 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 a it takes a collective village to uh, maximize and ensure that the best resources are are in the hands of of educators and students and communities in which often are not getting the type of uh, resources they they deserve. Great, it's an it's an important perspective. Was there a was there a moment in time where you said? this is the work that I want to do. This is what I'm going to commit my career to. You know, there, there were, there were many moments. There were, there were early signals uh, when I was in the private sector where I said, you know, it's, I'm sitting here essentially making rich people rich every single day. And I think that um, resonated because uh, I became farther removed from my own community, my own people. And I began to realize that um, there, there are, there's, a, there's a number of stakeholders, there's a number of different avenues to have an impact in social sectors and I'm, in, in, in this case, education. And so for me, it was realizing this, um, this idea of one pocket thinking versus the two pocket thinking lifestyle and two pocket thinking is this idea that we feel like we are better off working in a capacity that um that we're probably not passionate about it's probably focused on just paying the bill student loans and then we spend late nights and early saturday mornings uh devoting our time to areas that we actually are more passionate and uh care deeply about and while nothing is wrong with that, I think we're better off in 
I argue most people would prefer a more one pocket thinking work style, which is the ability to, to, to bridge both our passions, our skill sets, our values into one with the, at the same time, you're getting, you're, you're, you're having this economic ability personally. And so for me, with the support of a number of mentors, um, really shaped my thinking early in my career, I would say just coming out of the private sector and, used to own a coffee shop, which really got my, my, my juices flowing around. <laughs> um, literally. Around, literally a coffee shop. I used to own a coffee shop in New York City. And um, that's where I started leaning in and learning about the role that education entrepreneurs were playing and uh, uh, leveraging technology to reimagine learning and, 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 and increasing student outcomes. So it, it's, uh, I think, you know, the lesson learned is to be proactive, be to, to, to have mentors and others that will allow you to give you that flexibility to realize areas in which um, people in your career typically don't go down. You know, when you're, when you're in financial services or Wall Street, to make it more vague, you're supposed to, you know, make a lot of money and go to business school and, and, and go to galas. And, you know, and it's just, I, I didn't really, I didn't resonate with me. I felt it was a more, um, there was a, a larger opportunity to lean in and, and be a leader, a leader of color. And that was another aspect that, that, that resonated with me as well as we thought of, as I thought about those that actually not only looked like me, but came from the communities in which the type of students and families and communities that, that resembled my upbringing. And so that was, that was, that was another uh, 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 just aha moment um, in terms of me uh, wanting to just be part of my career, just be the crux of my career, excuse me. Yeah, no, important point, especially right now. And, you know, access, equity, social justice, those are all themes that we've been talking a lot about that are now front of mind. And we see what happens when people come together and push for collective, collectively for change. And I, you know, I think that that we're going to see another wave of that in, as it relates to parents and equity in education this fall, because prior to the pandemic, so many of the of aspects of education, policy constraints, seat time, those those weren't widely known. They've always existed, but it, 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 the, the pandemic caused this, this kind of, you know, the onion, if the, if the K-12 education system is an onion, it's like peeling back the layers and people are like, oh, wait, not everybody has a computer? Oh, wait, the, you know, urban schools are funded less than, than suburban schools and, and they're, they're going to want reasons and they're going to want to have equality and equity. So um, what role do you see technology playing in leveling the playing field and in moving towards more equitable systems yeah. as it relates to schools? Yeah, no, that's a great question. Let me just underscore your, your, your comment around, um, you know, how much this pandemic has highlighted the, uh, the, the, the most vulnerable communities and, and schools that are, um, that, that are being impacted, right? And the truth is people like yourself and others have been doing this work for years. And unfortunately, but fortunately, you're, we're finally seeing this momentum and interest and corporations and, and, and philanthropists um, and other entities that are earmarking their philanthropic dollars and, and, and resources and um, to, to, 
to ensure that these kids, these, these communities, these schools are not um, getting left behind. And I think that's, you know, my, that it's great. My fear is that um, this is just a wave and they go back to their, they being different philanthropic and corporations who are, who, who, who are sending a powerful signal, but you know, how the question is, is this, will this be sustainable in terms of how we ensure that the private sector and the philanthropic community is playing a, 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 a proactive intentional role in supporting um, under-resourced schools and under um, low wealth in, in low wealth communities. I think technology is incredibly important. I think first and foremost, we have to uh, understand that there are still um, low wealth communities that don't have high speed broadband access, right? You think about infrastructure first. And if we are going to, before we think about new forms of instructional tools, technology uh, focused instructional tools, operational tools, administrative tools, technology that creates a more easier operational efficiency and um, a more engaging learning environment, right? Technology, we have to ensure that these schools have high-speed internet access. And so that's, that's my, I'm not sure if you remember, that was my role at, at when I was an appointed official in Connecticut. I, my goal was to ensure that our lowest performing school districts or um, more, more, I say, are more under-resourced performing school districts like Bridgeport and Windsor and New London and New Britain and Hartford, um, New Haven, had the broadband access to ensure that they were that they had the the 21st century technology. Um, I think I think the next wave once you once we solve the problem around uh, infrastructure and band high speed internet bandwidth, it's being thoughtful the type of tools that um, that we're that we're investing in the type of technology tools that we're investing in. I'm a big believer that we should not test on kids, um, and so how do we effectively uh, um, you know, form the right partnerships, whether it's, you know, these are, you know, they, you know, how do we think about piloting, et cetera. And so we don't want these technology tools to impact learning or deviate from instruction. Um, and so it, 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 we hope is that, you know, what's more important is that technology builds on top of instruction. Uh, it, it, it expands, um, resources and, 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 it, and it increases engagement for students to realize real world, um, real world problems and, 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 and go into uh, the pyramids and, and, and Africa and, and, and places like, so that's what, that's where obviously AR and VR are, are becoming more, uh, particularly VR are becoming more uh, of a, of a interesting tool in the classrooms. And as, as kids, as kids, as we talked to, as we talked about earlier, as kids uh, um, are working from home, you know, obviously technology and, and how we engage and 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 correlate our reading to um, real life working environments, for example, because we do want to connect the dots between um, education and employment. Um, that's that's another 
uh, important factor in, ter in terms of helping uh, ensuring kids can connect the dots in terms of instruction and also what that looks like in the real world. <clears throat> yeah, such such great points. And as we move forward, there is going to be an increased focus on the K-12 education system and having a ready workforce. We, over the past you know, five to 10 years, there's been numerous articles that have been published and research reports around mid-sized employers in particular having a hard time finding and finding graduates or employees that have the skill set that they need because those the skills that they need and the content knowledge is either on the job training or they're the soft skills around uh, flexibility with technology and critical thinking that have gone against the one size fits all approach. And so, uh, you know, I, you know, that I'm a, I'm a very positive person. So I believe the opportunities ahead of us, that there are opportunities and there are problems that can be solved for, but we really need, in order to do it effectively, we really need to build that bridge between K-12 education and the workforce so that when we're redesigning those systems and using the technologies, it takes into account equity and relevance. So when we talk about equity and relevance, from your perspective, how important are those two components when looking towards the future of school? Amy, it's, it's incredibly important. I think the good news is that, and I've always been a big believer that a lot of our toughest questions are already answered. Um, we, we spend times at convenings and uh, nowadays on Zoom convenings, and we talk and share about, we need to do this, and this is how we should do. And I, I truly believe that the toughest questions are already answers. The challenge is, how do we highlight those solutions, those, 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 in, those, those individuals and communities or, or organizations that have solved these tough questions? But how, the challenge is taking it to scale, you know, relating Baltimore to Newark or or Anacostia here in DC. And, and so, so to that, um, and you know, employer, the workforce, uh, uh, engaging with K-12 is so important. For example, there's a, there's an education technology company out of Austin, Texas called Nepris. Nepris, um, is a, is a, an amazing video, um, engaging platform that or education technology platform that engages professionals across a number of industries uh, into K-12 education. So whether you're a lawyer or you're a financier or you're an agent or a doctor, um, these, 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 it, it's great for, um, it's, it's great for employee engagement. So a lot of employee engagement um, at large corporations tend to, to, to use NEPRIS as a way to um, uh, you know, share their experiences with students. And so, um, so that's number one. I, I, so, that, so there's technology and, and, and entrepreneurs who are building tools to, to, to connect the dots between education and, and the workforce. But, um, but then you have, uh, you have, you have uh, schools who, um, who are also partnering with corporations, other corporations, to share a, what a day in a life looks like at um, – any large, I won't name one, uh, but any large institution. And so, again, kind of going back to my point, as students are reading and learning about, um, you know, career opportunities, you the, the the you're finding more employers engaging with with students to help them realize, you know, not only what the day in a life looks like at X Y Z company, but 
these are soft skills and, 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 uh, and just types of critical thinking that goes into a day in the life as a scientist, as a financier, as a sales rep, as a head of HR. Um, but, but, the, but the, the more important part is that we have a long way to go. And I think the more, uh, I do think corporations should play a, a major role in, in injecting capital, philanthropic capital into the K-12 system as, as we think about, um, uh, Students getting more exposure. Obviously, the next wave for students after 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 high school is some form of post secondary degree. <clears throat> that's another conversation. Like that's being more expansive. The cost of higher ed is not decreasing anytime soon. So, um, alternatives to higher education, whether it's two four year apprenticeship models, um, you're going through coding boot camps, and so you're finding employers who are specifically interested in. Um, and, and skill, uh, particularly competency-based skills around coding or Ruby's and Rails, and that's you having that expertise is enough versus going to a four-year school. That's becoming um, a new wave of, of of sourcing talent. But um, but yeah, it, it's it's. I think we have a we have a long way to go in terms of sharing lessons learned because there are a number of great K twelve schools that have doing that are doing it right. And uh, doing it in a, in a way that they're partnering with corporations, and so I just think there needs to be more more of that. Yeah, excellent. Well, we're going to close with a quote from you that says a, a summary quote that says, "For most of the questions that we ask, we already know the answers, and our job is to highlight the solutions that are out there." Thank you, Nasir, for okay. being with us and talking about these important topics today. Amy, my pleasure. Thank you so much. Since 2016. Future of School has given away scholarships to hundreds of students who have embraced blended and online courses in their high school experiences. Those winners have identified over 50 different reasons that they chose to diversify their educational pathways. From overcoming bullying to wanting to take a wider breadth of classes, tech-enabled learning environments will define the future of school. My name is Jazzy Manukian and I'm from Wyoming. However, I'm currently attending Patrick Henry College in Percival, Virginia. And the reason I'm able to do that is because of the Future of School. Um, the Future of School graciously awarded me a scholarship that has enabled me to be financially secure for the next two years of college at this particular college. It was at the top of my list and I wouldn't have been able to come here debt-free if it weren't for the Future of School scholarship. Now what is the Future of School and what does the scholarship encompass? Well, for me personally, I've had much experience with school and the different learning environments and the ways to learn and programs. And what I found is that the future of school is online. Um, online, it just allows a more all-encompassing field for each student and for each learning ability and learning style. It helps with visual learning, um, audio learning. Really, it's so all-encompassing. Um, However, while I've had the solely online schooling, I contend that a dual or merged form of learning is better, where you merge the written and the online and an in-class teacher. Um, in that way, if you're watching the videos and you don't quite understand what's going on, you can go to your in-class teacher and just hash it out with that teacher, 
ask them specific questions about what you're having difficulties with. And then maybe you can refer to the textbooks if you're a more visual learner and you can see it all written out. And in that way, having that mixed learning just allows everybody to have what they need to learn. Um, it's just so perfect for each learning style. Um, and in that way, Future of School has enabled me to share my experiences through learning and has enabled me to continue my learning. You're listening to Future of School, the podcast, highlighting all the important voices in the innovative education landscape of today and tomorrow. Coming up next, a great interview segment hosted by one of our student scholarship winners. Hello everyone, thank you so much for joining us today. My name is Satara Enos. I am originally from Julesburg, Colorado, but just recently moved to Lincoln, Nebraska to pursue a biology degree at Nebraska Wesleyan University. I'm so excited to be joining you today and to be interviewing Miss Amy Valentine. So let's get right in on it. Amy, what made you decide to pursue a career in education? Satara, it's great to be here and to be interviewed by you. You're one of my favorite students and I'm glad to be here. Um, what made me pursue a career in education? It actually was when I was in graduate school and determining what the future was gonna hold for me. I loved people. I loved being around people, communicating, having an impact on the lives of those around me. And so I had the opportunity to be a TA in college, teacher's assistant, and at a very young age was in a role where I was um, teaching undergraduates Spanish, which was fun and challenging and exciting. And from there, it, was, it really was a career that I just continued on with taking different roles and positions that um, would allow me to work with students, cultivate my skills and hone in on new ways of teaching. I love that. Every time I talk to you, I feel like you get more amazing. If you were to give your personal definition of what it means to be a teacher, how would you describe it? I believe that to be a teacher is to be human. I think everybody has the potential to be a teacher in different ways. There's, there's a misnomer that, okay, you know, certainly to be a teacher in a classroom with students, you have, you know, there's certain credentials you have to have, you have to have a degree, you have to have a background check. So the, the, word teacher historically is synonymous with a school but i think we are all informal teachers every day we have the opportunity to touch the lives of those who are around us in ways that doesn't doesn't involve sitting in front of a desk or lecturing them or having them take a test so i think just as a as a human species we underestimate our ability to fit the role of teacher. And in the United States, I think that, that um, we saw that this spring when the pandemic hit because parents and grandparents and family members, were, they were thrust into positions where they had to assume the role and some of the um, responsibilities of educator for students. So that's, that's my you know, informal definition of it. And when we look at school, when we look at what a teacher is, in that formal setting, I would say it's, it still has an informal definition. It's mentor, it's guide, and teacher is facilitator, and teacher is the most fundamental um, positive impact on children in their academics and in their personal lives. And it's a, it's a very 
important critical role that we, I think we should all value more than we ever have in, in our society. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more with that. And you touched on it a little bit, but more so now than ever before, I feel like it's important that all of us step into that teacher role and kind of blossom into this new leading inspirational platform and role um, at any stage of life. So with that being said, why do you think the education community should focus on innovation? I'll try to keep it synthesized to a couple minutes because you and I, you and I have spoken at conferences and we've been, we've talked about this and I could talk a long time about it. Um, innovation, our K twelve education system is the only entity in our society that hasn't been catalyzed by technology. So you know when we we use the word innovation to mean new and different and out of the box thinking, technology is the tool that can be used to innovate. And I think I, we owe it to our children. We owe it to our, our teachers. We owe it to our country as a whole that what we teach in schools and the ways in which we teach and the empowerment that we give to educators and to leaders, that that mirrors everything that the workforce needs. And in the last 10 to 20 years, it hasn't. Our society has evolved and grown and the K-12 education system has remained relatively stagnant but it's, you know, I don't like to point fingers and place blame. It's just, it's because nobody's demanded that it change. It's because, you know, individuals have taken online and blended classes. Teachers, you know, in their classrooms have been innovating, but together we haven't been in a place where everyone said, okay, now there's a new and better way up until, up until recently. Transitioning from that answer and the focus on innovation. Over the next year, are there any trends or changes that you predict will happen in education? Sure, I, I think that when we look at the next year, it's hard to forecast what is going to, what, what school is going to look like and what um, the system will look like, but there's some really, op I have a lot of optimism about what the future holds in the next you know year. So I would say that schools across America, they're going to be forced to innovate. They're going to be forced to do more with less resources because of the challenges that we've seen with the budgets that they're facing. And while one might say, oh, that's terrible. Oh, that's horrible. I always, you know, I'm, I'm a glasses overflowing kind of leader in person. So I think that it's, it will be challenging and difficult, but that schools will learn to do more with less in that regard. And, and that is where technology has, a, has an important role to play. I also think over the next year, the role of the teacher and the support staff in schools will continue to be um, something that we look at and value differently than we ever have, like we did this past spring. There was a little bit of a lull this summer. I, I think that this summer people were waiting to see what, what we were gonna go back to. You know, okay, if we wait, then we'll go back to what it was. I, the future of education is not gonna be the past of education. We are at this amazing spot right now where we can redesign and recultivate what learning models look like, how teachers interact with their students, how students interact with each other. And because it's so new, it can feel overwhelming and, and frightening for people. But the emotion of fear is he has the same sense that excitement does. So in talking to school leaders, it really is about getting them to buy into and see that there, this is an exciting time, 
even though it's an unknown time. And that those two things go counterintuitive against each other for human nature. So it's it's a it's asking a lot of people to change their plans, to change their learning environment, to change the model every day. But I do believe in a, a year from right now, we will be we will be stronger because of it. Absolutely. I love that. So in conjunction with that, I know you and I have talked at great lengths and could probably interview for hours um, because we're both so passionate about online and blended learning and education in general. But if you could pick one thing or one pathway that you could walk down to revolutionize and really change and impact the education system today, what would it be? If I could do one thing today, it would be to, in, to impart and to help people see that education should be one of the top priorities for whatever political platform they have, whatever personal experiences they've had with their own education, for, you know, that, that we prioritize it as a country. Learning is at the core of the human spirit. And learning happens in schools, in classrooms. It happens outside of physical buildings. It happens when we're trying to do it, when we're not trying to do it. And I, and I would, my hope and wish, and if I could make it come true today, would be that people start to make some of the connections between education, giving kids what they need, empowering teachers to deliver that in a way that they know the students will most benefit from, and that we don't let policies or fear, fear-based mentalities or a lack of understanding, we don't let those things get in our way because we're at this, the leading edge right now and we have such great opportunities ahead of us but be having a mindset that you're open to it, that that is the tipping point that I would want to push everybody in our country towards. Such a great point. So many unique perspectives. Amy Valentine, everyone, such an amazing lady, so kind-hearted, so geared towards education, online and blended learning. I have so enjoyed working with you and loved this interview. So thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for listening to Future of School, the podcast. To learn more about Future of School, including our student scholarship program, innovative educator prize, and other efforts to highlight and accelerate purposeful innovation in schools, visit our website, futureof.school, follow us on Twitter at futureof underscore school, or connect with us on Facebook or LinkedIn.